And here we are, Cinema Squabble, episode 90, inching mm-hmm. into summer. And, and, uh, and Adam, you've got a friend in me. You've got a friend. I'm just, wow. just going to let that... And you too, John. You've wow. got a friend in oh, me. Oh, look, some ham-fisted just landed on the table. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, thunk. <laughs> How about it? Uh, and, what uh, episode are we again? <laughs> so we're 90. We're not midsummer quite yet. Ooh. Ooh. See, we're just going to drop... One. Let's just get that one out of the web we'll right away. all the bombs. Although I, I am far from home right now. Oh. So. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, Cinema Squabble here, episode 90. Adam Gerke, Sarah Michelle Fetters, that guy John, and uh, a lot to talk about because we are in the throes of summer blockbusters and some of the smaller hits as well. Yeah, but then we've also got a Q and uh- Really great interview coming up later. Exactly. So we'll be talking with Tommy Swenson of The Beacon, a local cinema that is starting up in Columbia City. So excited about That's, that. And yep. by the way, the, the first days that'll be operating will be July 19th. So you got time to investigate further as to what they're up to. Uh, and we'll have that for you coming up in here just a little bit. But Sarah, do tell. Yeah. You got a friend in me. Yes. What is the deal with Toy... Did anybody ask for this this Toy Story 4? I, I don't think so. I mean, no. I, I you know, I wrote in my review that... Um, I have literally gone into every single Toy Story sequel mm-hmm. wondering why the heck they were making a Toy Story sequel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I went into Toy Story 2 thinking, gosh, Toy Story was so perfect. Why do I need a second one? Went into Toy Story 3 going, oh my God, those two movies were so perfect. Why do I have to watch a third one? Went into this fourth one like, oh my gosh, that trilogy, it just summed itself up so beautifully. Why do I need a fourth one? Every single time I have walked out of a Toy Story sequel, I knew in that very exact second that I had just watched one of the best movies I'm going to watch all year. Mm-hmm. And wow. that now includes wow. Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 is the first one that picks up almost immediately after the last installment. The other three all sort of take place in the amount of years that it took to actually make and release the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. This one does pick up... Pretty much after Andy has gone off to college and delivered his toys, including Buzz Lightyear and Woody the Cowboy and Slinky and Jesse and and Rex and all of those guys um, over to Bonnie. Mm -hmm. And so they are now Bonnie's toys. And... And Woody is having, still voiced by Tom Hanks, is having a bit of an existential crisis because he used to be the big toy in the toy box. Mm And now he's basically been usurped. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his place has been taken by Dolly, mm-hmm. who is who, who was and is Bonnie's first toy. And mm-hmm. she's once again voiced by Bonnie Hunt. And, and Woody's really having to deal with the fact that he is not the number one guy. And yet he still loves and adores and supports his kid. And so when Bonnie goes off to kindergarten, he sneaks away with her and helps her engineer a new friend Mm -hmm. and that is forky it's a spork (laughs) Uh voiced by tony hale who is made out of trash trash and becomes (laughs) bonnie's latest toy and from there and and that in and of itself could be a movie Mm -hmm. but that isn't what these guys at pixar have done instead it really becomes this journey of acceptance and faith and friendship and love um, and what it means to sort of grow old and let go mm-hmm. and to and to be willing to go off on your own path. It's all of these different things that the Toy Story films have done in in, in varying increments, but now coming to sort of full um, culmination with Woody's journey in particular. Yeah. And this brings back Bo Peep, who we have not seen in quite some time, once again voiced by Annie Potts. It brings us a, a new character who is very, very creepy in Gabby Gabby, <laughs> voiced by uh, um, Christina Hendricks. I was thinking you were going to talk about Keanu Reeves. Keanu oh. Reeves <laughs> as, Canadi- as Canada's Duke biggest Kaboom. <laughs> right. he stuntman, is... Duke Kaboom, who is phenomenal. It's, but yeah. I mean... It, I don't want to go into this too much because it really is Woody's story mm-hmm. and it is how Woody now deals with this changing world and and comes to understand where if, if in Toy Story 3 it was about making sure that everybody always, everybody stuck together, this one in a way is about it's okay sometimes to let go. Yeah. I, mm. See, I was putting this more into the midlife crisis yeah. for a toy. Uh, and, and also what I would describe as uh, sort of Warren Etheridge of the high bar describes uh, in some of his seminars what is called the theory of mind. And Pixar does this in all of their films, all of them, all of them, all of them, where a character is faced with a decision A or B. And there's a positive and a negative to each decision. 
But really what they need to do is they need to make the decision C, which transcends options A and B. And that kind of elevates them to the next stage. Every Pixar film since the dawn of time has done this. To varying degrees of success. And Well, but But, also, but that's what makes their film so successful because it it also goes hand in hand with the the hero's quest. So you Mm -hmm. have the hero's quest and theory of mind Mm -hmm. working together in all all of their films. And uh, Toy Stories in particular, one, two, three, four, have all done these uh, very, very much so. And this one really falls right in line with it. I mean, it's just lockstep with that same concept. Uh, makes it particularly rich, and uh, the heartstrings are mm. hit hard. The last 20 minutes of this movie, and I don't yeah. cry easily at a movie and at movies, and I went through like four Kleenex. Yeah. See, and that was how I felt with the third one. It yeah. was like, I mean, similar to what you were mentioning before, with the third one, it was like, cool. This trilogy is over. It, Beginning, middle, yeah. and exactly. They wrapped it up, and then when this one, so I, I did not see this uh, movie, mainly because part of me just did not really Ex- care to a little bit because I was like, they wrapped everything up in the third mm-hmm. one really mm-hmm. well. It was a nice little package, and so at this one, I was just not really that enticed to go and see it. And part of me worries about the anthropomorphizing of this new toy because it creeps me out because it is like <laughs> wait if anything can then become a toy that it's is awesome. terrifying well but but it's it, awesome but, but it's also but it's also true yeah i mean like i, I knew a kid in grade school who turned a, a big pen he called it inky yep and that was wow. his toy so you know kids do that i mean it, it, it is yeah. about in some ways the you know the power of a kid's imagination mm-hmm. true which is really special yeah. in and of itself also um i looked at it Walking out of Toy Story 4, I think it's magnificent. I mean, I think it's flat out the second best movie I've seen this year. I am in love with it. But I am looking at it as sort of an epilogue to that original trilogy. Because it really, even though all of the characters get to do something, and we do get some old characters that are brought back, and Mm -hmm. a couple really intriguing new ones, this is Woody's story. This becomes... Woody's tale more so than any of the others and so I kind of look at it as an epilogue and that it's like it's like Toy Story you know Woody come you know Woody's journey yeah I think epilogue is a really great way to describe it sort of like in Harry Potter how at the end of Harry Potter then they do the 10, 15 years later, and here's Harry grown up, married to so-and-so. But and this is da, better da, 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 than da. that. Right, but it's 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 <laughs> that same kind of concept uh, and, and I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll finish yeah. on the thought that um the way I described it to the the reps mm-hmm. walking out of the theater, I said, "I think this is this. If ever there was the stop point, yeah, this is it. Okay, I mean, this is okay. You, you done good. Now, now stop. So, I mean, okay. not that we can necessarily yeah. trust Disney because it's going to, even though it underperformed at one hundred and twenty some million dollars, <laughs> like which is the most that ever any yeah. Toy Story movie has ever made. I mean, it's going to make a gazillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we can never trust Disney to actually stop." But True, right? gosh, I hope they stop because yeah. if Toy Story three was like the greatest ending to a trilogy, this is perfect. Just yeah, this okay. is this is the cherry don't go on any top. further. Yeah. Cherry on top. Be done. Go see it in a the theater. Yep, and I'm with you on that theater as well. Uh, so talking about another favorite director of of mine, yeah, that would be Danny Boyle. You've mm-hmm. had a bunch of his films on and, your top uh, tens over the he years. Has, he has wowed me, shocked me, amazed me over the years. Uh, he's got a new film out this it's week. It's a long and winding career. So It's a long and winding yeah. road, I think is what it ends up being. <laughs> and uh, to to give that one away, Yesterday is the film I'm talking about. And uh, this specifically is about a struggling songwriter, and he's a street performer. His name is Jack Malik, played by Himish Patel. And uh, he's hitting an all-time low when like he's done with his career I'm done with songwriting I'm going to go back to just teaching teaching and mm-hmm. oh god forbid what, what what a what a career right um when he's struck by a bus at the exact moment when some in- inexplicable hiccup happens all across the world which drop, drops the planet earth into darkness for a split second wah, wah, wah. and when he wakes up actually wakes up wakes up later from the hospital minus a few teeth <laughs> he discovers somehow that he is the only person on planet earth that can remember the Beatles, as in the Fab Four, as in like John, Paul, George, Ringo, and maybe the fifth guy who most people forget about, who was their <laughs> first drummer back in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> so he's the only one that remembers the Beatles. Being singer-songwriter, he's now got the entire Beatles catalog in his back pocket because he was a big fan of the Beatles. He remembers their songs. Mm-hmm. So he takes that catalog, and innocently, he's backed by his best friend and manager, Ellie, who's Lily James. But... He, he starts re-recording their songs as best he can to try and preserve the memory of the Beatles. 
And this is all done in innocent. But then, and he starts kind of garnering some attention. And becomes an overnight be- sensation. Becomes an overnight sensation. Enter Kate McKinnon, who happens to be the the big uh, Hollywood producer, Hollywood manager, Deborah Hammer. And uh, now it's the question of, do I want to drink from the chalice of poison and go for fame and fortune and make a gajillion dollars on all these amazing songs? Or do I just scrap it all? And... Well, careful you what go. you wish for is sort of the uh, is the moral here. Hmm. Again, directed by Danny Boyle. This is a guy known for color, known, known for wild cinematography, wild ideas. He injects a ton multiple of, genres. Does I mean right. works in every genre imaginable. Injects mm-hmm. music into everything that he does. Usually mm-hmm. in, incredibly influenced by music. In this case, the entire soundtrack sure. is the Beatles. No, no, no doubt. Right. Who wrote it? Uh, and the writers on this one end up being uh, Jack Barth and Richard Curtis. That's the important name. That You're right. Okay, and explain <laughs> to us why do you say that? Why do I say that? Because Richard Curtis is known for movies like Four Weddings and a Funeral um, and Notting Hill, which he both wrote those ones, and then movies like About Time and um, Love Actually mm-hmm. and Pirate Radio, which he both wrote and directed. And I have all only of those seen... F- no. I only like one of those, and that was well, Pirate Radio. I was going to say, Pirate Radio is well, my favorite. I mean, <laughs> it, it, well, Four Weddings and a Funeral is legitimately yeah. a classic, and it deserved, probably deserved its Best Picture nomination when it got it. Notting Hill's good. Pirate Radio's good. Um, I mean, they're all fine to certain levels, and Love Actually has become a Christmas perennial mm-hmm. for some strange mm-hmm. reason. I mean, Richard Curtis, his films, they are essentially rom-coms mm-hmm. with a lot of really serious dramatic overtones, They or undertones. And they usually have some really great hooks as ideas, mm-hmm. but are more concerned with giving people warm and fuzzy feelings mm-hmm. than they are with doing anything with that idea the majority of the time. And I think that hmm. is the crux of this entire film, because you get this Oz-like journey, right? You've, you've kind of been whisked away into this parallel universe. But thankfully, thankfully, I will say, Danny Boyle does not take us down the road of, oh, it was all just a dream. I was going to say, I so this is another one mm-hmm. that I missed uh, for various reasons, mm-hmm. and I was not too sad about missing it. Right. Uh, the Beatles, I mean, I, I know a lot of their catalog. They are in my top five most overrated bands of all time, but that is a different podcast. Um, and I just, I could not really get that invested in this one because I just, I, I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah. You know, a la, was it Dallas? When he comes yeah. out of the shower, yeah. Bobby, know? yeah, and it was Bobby like, in the it shower, it was all a dream, you know. So yeah. like, I, I, I had that feeling even watching the trailers. Sure, and I, I, that was my big fear going into this yep. was that it was going to turn into sort of a modern day Wizard of Oz, or it was going to turn into uh, what was Love Actually? No, it wasn't Love Actually. It was, was the, not what was, Love Actually. What was the one we just saw with uh, Rebel Wilson? Or oh, it, she, uh, isn't it romantic? Isn't Which it actually, romantic? But actually, that worked better than this does. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, it would, but that's the same concept where a little bit she wakes up inside a romantic comedy. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So but that wor- that movie actually had the strength to stick with its premise all the way through and <laughs> didn't actually cop out and just become "I love you" at the yeah. very end. And this becomes just a straightforward mm. feel-good film. The one thing that's really backing it again, though, and that actually does carry, to my opinion is the music, because none of the characters are particularly tricky, um, and there's not a whole lot else to it. But the music is, I kind of think, what makes it fun. That's what it, keeps it the sing-along. That's, I mean, when you look back to, say, when we look back to Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody, mm-hmm. the film is kind of meh, but yeah. why do people like it? Because they get to sing along with it and get to have fun uh, with it. Of course. Realize, just realize that you, when you went on vacation, we didn't get to review Rocket Man. Yeah. Oh! But oh, yeah. you see what I'm saying? With all <laughs> these films about music, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are really keying yeah. into them because they get to sing along. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's fine. I have two, so I watched this movie at the Seattle National Film Festival. I was moderately entertained. It's inoffensive. It's charming. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it hits a lot of the right notes. And I discovered, the more I kept thinking about it, how much I actually didn't really care for the film. And I have two main problems. Mm-hmm. My first problem is how the movie completely misuses Lily James's character. Oh, Ellie, yeah. Ellie is a stereotypical... Um, wallflower that this movie uses and abuses and the only reason that she ends up being interesting is because Lily James is really good as this character. Mm -hmm. She Mm. makes her interesting. But the writing for her is horrible. Yeah. Well, but the writing for all of them is pretty darn flat. He's okay. I mean, but it's not... I mean, I think they do a fine job with him for the most part. Again, it's more the performance than the writing, but whatever. Here's my other issue, and it turned into a bigger issue. Hmm. This premise doesn't actually work. The Beatles were influential because of 
A, who they were, Mm -hmm. B, that they worked in harmony with one another, and C, the time period in which they released their music and were able to have influence upon generation upon generation upon generation of other musicians. (laughs) Whether you think they're overrated, underrated, or whatever, that part is historical. Mm -hmm. And by you can't I, I know the long and winding road is a brilliant, beautiful, amazing song, and it would still be a brilliant, beautiful, amazing song. But I want to hold your, I want to hold your hand, or she was just seventeen. Um, you know, some of these songs are a product of their time, yes. and in some ways are inherently creepy. You can't just, <laughs> yeah. you can't just sing back in the USSR with no irony whatsoever, mm. and have it actually work for any audience well. other than a Soviet audience that he's singing it in front of. I can totally buy that they would love it. Yeah. I can't buy that it would become a worldwide smash. Well, but th- 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 I think that's the crux of time travel in general or yeah. any of these sorts of things. So, I, I mean, I see what you're getting at. I can't pick bones with that overall because you're absolutely right. There's no way that one of the, the Ed, uh, Ed Sheeran, who becomes yeah. like the, the the go-to guru for songwriting, there's no way Ed Sheeran would be doing what he's doing without the Beatles. Yeah. You know, so, I mean... It's it's the whole butterfly effect. No, if it, the butterfly yeah. didn't flap its wings sixty years ago, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. I think it's. I mean, it would so, work a lot better if you say like, you know, would Shakespeare's plays be as amazing today? And in many ways, they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beatles' music is still fantastic and it's still interesting, but I don't see how it would have this instant effect upon the entire world as it does in this movie, especially yeah. when sung by one guy. Yeah. That's also that's also the problem oh, is a lot of these songs of don't work. Suspension of when they're disbelief. only sung by one guy. Suspension well, of like, disbelief. With, with me, the biggest thing for these type of movies, you yeah. know, we talked about Rocket Man, Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody, and now this. Did they allow him to actually sing? Yes. Yeah. Then it already oh, is better than Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> right. Well, you know, in the sense of that was the biggest disconnect, mm-hmm. and why Rocket Man was so great is like when Taron Edgerton was singing, like you could tell, and yeah. so for this. That is something that I really take offense to in these type of movies, sure. just coming from a musical theater background. Yeah, and so I'm glad that they oh, no, Patel, allowed him to yeah. do it. Patel performs the hell out of this movie. Okay. So, he's he's and, good. So Sarah, where ultimately do you find in this? Are you a theater rent or a skip on this? I was a rent coming out of the theater. Ooh. As I wrote my review, I've actually blossomed into a skip. Wow. No kidding. Wow. Well, yeah. I'm on the opposite end of that scale. I'm going on the theater because I think it's a fun thing sing along still to this yeah, day. Yeah, it so. it just so. annoys me. Wow. Well. I, can't believe it does, but it annoys me. All I say is suspension of disbelief. Uh, because if Speaking you, of suspension gonna, of disbelief. If, if you don't believe that happened, <laughs> and yet, tell us you believe this happened, Sarah. Right? I know. We go from a movie that I should have liked mm-hmm. to a movie that there's no way in hell that I, sh- that I would ever like. Mm-hmm. And that's Annabelle Comes Home. <laughs> yeah. The, the first Annabelle in 2014 is bad. Rough. It's legitimately bad. Real rough. Annabelle creation is kind of good. Very good. This movie, Annabelle Comes Home, written, directed um, by Gary Doberman, who has actually had a hand in a lot of these Conjuring Universe films, also co-wrote um, both It movies, mm-hmm. um, making his director his directorial debut with this. Annabelle Comes Home. Who's the other writer on this, though? It's just him. James Wan. No, James Wan just produced it. He just produced it. IMDb gave him a a writing credit. Well, that's still not technically correct. (laughs) Well, blame IMDb. Don't blame me. (laughs) I'm going to go by. I'm going to go by the production notes. I mean, James Wan gets a credit because he created the characters that are in this film. Okay, Um, which he did, and he deserves total credit for because he did. But they are real people. So yeah, but Annabelle and stuff. Okay, we're getting off track. Annabelle's real too. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Of these Conjuring universe films. Annabelle Comes Home is, I think, my favorite one. More so than Conjuring 2. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Conjuring, the first Conjuring film is still the best. I love this movie. This movie is essentially just, it's a combination of one of the Conjuring spinoffs and an actual Conjuring movie. We get, you know, because this is a movie that is begun with Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga returning, mm-hmm. um, introducing us back to the world of Annabelle and also into their world of the Warren Artifact Room, mm-hmm. where... In their house, there is a secret locked room that has been blessed and blessed and blessed again. Every week. Mm -hmm. Every week. And it's a real thing. I mean, this actually does exist. Where all of the supposedly possessed items are kept. And when they put Annabelle in there, they actually put her into a separate case that is made entirely out of church glass because she's so dangerous. This movie is about their daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Judy, played by McKenna Grace, 
her babysitter, Mary Ellen, played by Madison Eisman, and Mary's friend, Daniela Rios, played by Katie Seraph, mm-hmm. who inadvertently let Annabelle out of her case. I inadvertently is. It was a series she, of terrible mistakes, yeah. is how I describe <laughs> she it. She didn't mean. I mean, she did not mean to let Annabelle out. But once that's done. Yeah. All of the things that Daniela touched while in the Warren Artifact room, mm-hmm. get they come to life thanks to Dan, to, to Annabelle's this is demonic kind of like power. Jumanji for adults. It it well, there, there is okay. I off topic. There is no reason this movie should be rated R. That is the most ludicrous rating for this film. I have. I mean, there is virtually no blood. There's no swearing, and it's only rated R for being scary. Mm-hmm. Being scary again. The MPAA. If too much of it takes place at night, sure. With no, I get it. Elements like yeah, but I mean this movie because this movie is almost goosebumps. It really is like it is close to that. One of the things that fascinates me with James Wan is as he has been building this mm-hmm. conjuring universe, this incredibly financially <laughs> no. successful conjuring universe. <gasps> he has nailed the model of I need fifteen million dollars, right? And I will make you $240 million. Like, (laughs) unlike anybody else has done in a very long time with relatively good track record. Mm -hmm. You know, there are definitely some stinkers in there. But But everything else. But all of them have been successful. Even the box office wise. Even the curse of. La Llorona. Thank you. I mean, that, and that's the most financially unsuccessful of the bunch. Still made like triple its budget. I think more. I think it made like five x. Like, yeah. It was still crazy. But this is also not uncommon though, because there are two types of film that always make their money back, and that is porn and horror. And, that, <laughs> and, I, and I don't. I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, but yeah. it is true. I mean, that is they. They always. They statistically have always made their money back. Well, what so. what is also what I the other thing that fascinates me about that is, in a lot of his movies, he starts laying the foundation. For the next things in the movies, which we started seeing coming after, oof, let me see, maybe Conjuring, Conjuring 2, 2 was really where they yeah. started to like put these things in. This movie gives us potentially like six other films, three, four options. <laughs> no. The the one that I really want to see because there's like there's a ghost werewolf, there's a fairy man, mm-hmm. which apparently the fairy man is already in development. Yeah, there is a samurai ghost in yes. this. Yes, yeah. give me a samurai ghost movie. I mean, it would be incredible. So, and if In Fabric didn't already exist, I'd almost want the 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 ghost wedding oh, dress wedding movie dress, to exist yeah. because it's a it's not a killer it's not a killer ghost it's mm-hmm. a killer dress yeah which is awesome yeah so I mean with this it just it really took me by surprise they grounded this one more than any of the other mm-hmm. ones this is essentially a haunted house movie mm-hmm. with like three that. really for a ninety for a hundred minute movie mm-hmm. with three well constructed. Adolescent and teenage leads. Yeah, I mean we, the only we get person that, stories yeah. of pretty much all of them that, as much as so that we need to care Ex- about them. The potential boyfriend do. is the only one that he, is a little undeveloped. He cracks me but up. He's, he's very he's, funny and he's still so, appropriate. He's yeah. still so great. Yeah. And he was so eighties, right? just like yeah. dumb jock who wants to save the day. Although the movie set in the seventies, which is like, yeah, uh, well, has so, a yeah. heart of gold. <laughs> like, yeah, I love that character. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, mean, love, I love this movie. I had a great time with it. I'm not going to talk too much more about it because I don't want to reveal anything. Well, I think we but can, I loved it. What we can reveal, though, and you and I both made the observation, and I think, John, you were still there when we were discussing it. What we really liked about this was the fact that so much of it is practical yes. effects. Yes, yeah. and, absolutely. And, and it's not reliant on CG. It's not reliant on all the new tricks of Hollywood. Yep. It's This is old school. Which makes it funny when you see the hellhound slash werewolf and Mm -hmm. that that is CG and he stands out like a sore thumb in a way because everything else in the movie is practical. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it that makes it that much more fun, that much more of a throwback. Uh, And they really invest well into the score, which which brings the creep level up to 11. So, yeah. No. Uh, Yeah. Bringing Joseph Bashara back to score. This was really smart. The other thing that I love about this before we move on to the next Mm -hmm. one. I have so much respect for Vera Formiga yeah. to show up on set for 12 hours. <laughs> right? Yeah. For like for four movies a year. Right. She just lines them up. I mean, we had Godzilla this year where she was on set for maybe two, Couple three days. days. Mm-hmm. This one, maybe one. I'm two, pretty two. sure she could knock out her stuff in 12 hours. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, as we talked about, it's probably two days because there's a, the, right. the, the, the opening section in the car probably was like one day. Two six everything, hour days. Everything else was like. So good for her. Like, yeah. whether that is. A choice of hers or her agent. Props to both of them because that 
I mean, it is just, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. So theater rent skip for you, John? Uh, this is definitely theater. Like, <laughs> okay. it was, I can't believe and, we're you know, that. we talk yeah. about this later on in the interview with uh, our guest getting the communal yes. experience yep. of the theater. This, I could feel the blood pressure around me yes. rising and it oh, yeah. stayed there. Yeah. That is impressive. That is a good trick of filmmaking mm-hmm. when you can feel the audience around you amping up and not relying on the going to be a jump scare, going to be a jump scare, mm-hmm. jump scare. This yeah. is just build uh-huh. and build and build, unlike some of their other recent ones with La Llorona and The Nun, yeah. where just you knew the jump scare was coming. This built to it in just a really smart way. I, I think yeah. it's a perfect juxtaposition between Annabelle, where I remember watching that press screening and, I mean, that, that promo screening with that full audience, and they were like kind of with it, mm-hmm. but they were giggling more at it yeah. than with it. What you're talking about with this movie, they were in. Yeah. They were all in. And, and that feeling is completely different. And this is obviously a theater for me. Yeah. And theater for me too as well. Because you're right. The, the giggling that was happening was nervous giggling. Yeah. Yep. The hands, my hands, I was wringing them throughout the film kind of going, oh God. Because I mean, it was working on me. Well, you Adam, know? speaking of wringing your hands, how are your hands doing for a movie that opens next week, next on right. Wednesday? Yeah. Let's talk about this one. Because this one, I, I haven't even really written up. I haven't written up my, uh, my, my blurb on this yet, but I'll try and summarize what's going on with Midsummer. Uh, Midsummer, written and directed by Ari Aster. This is a film that kind of looks at a a pagan a pagan ceremony that happens in Sweden, theoretically during the during midsummer. midsummer. Mm-hmm. And a group of basically college friends yeah. or college grad, but yeah, po- kind post-grad, of post grad, post grad, they're mostly. sort of trying to figure out what their theses are and stuff like that. They're trying to figure out what they're going to yeah. do for for their uh, additional schoolwork. Uh, they head to Sweden with their one classmate. Uh, who says, "Hey, why don't you come on back to my, uh, come back to my 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 family's <laughs> my small little place, village, uh, mm-hmm. small village, and it'll be great." And uh, <laughs> wow, oh and, and nobody there looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm just going to no, tell you all this right no. now. But um, <laughs> really, what it what it delves into then is sort of this, um, without giving too much away. Yeah. Uh, we go through the ritual of their midsummer yeah. uh, ritual. And things take a turn for the left and mm-hmm. a turn for the right. And we have hallucinogens and we have uh, all sorts of drugs that are involved. And and who knows and if the five people that have come to visit are going to... Do they actually walk do away? Do they get to go or, home? Or do they not? Or was it all just a dream? Mm-hmm. And you know, That and, actually and, is a legitimate question to this one in sure. some regard. And yeah. I, I think you do have to... I, I don't think you can talk about this movie, though, without... Mentioning Florence Pugh, you have to. I mean, Incredible. Florence yeah. Pugh is our main actress in this movie. She plays Danny. Mm-hmm. She is um, the girlfriend of one of the she's grad. She's the girlfriend of Jack Rayner, who yeah. plays a guy named Christian. And interestingly enough, yes. his name is Christian. At exactly. A pagan thing. I'm let's sure. just let's just put the the dots together on how that's going to finish <laughs> Chris, for Christian. Christian, aka worst boyfriend ever, ever. pretty much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, she's there, and she has her own tragic backstory that Aster supplies her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie mostly focuses on her and mm-hmm. her reactions to what is taking place. Um, and she's stunning in this movie. <laughs> if everybody loved Tony Collette and Hereditary, I, you need to watch this movie because mm-hmm. Florence Pugh is maybe even better. Yeah. What I will say about this is there are, you know, one or two films a year that get under the skin. Under the Skin was one of them several years ago. That's true. That wow. One or two films a year for me that get under my skin and you can't get them out. Uh, it's kind of like hmm. okay. it's kind of like something something bit me and it still itches and right. I can't get it to stop itching. This is one of those films. Huh. Interesting. Uh, it's an art house film. It's an art house flick. It's going to have, I think in my opinion, it's going to have a hard time finding its audience unless, <laughs> uh, unless yeah. like someplace here in Seattle and I know it's going to be playing at the SIF Uptown. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Uptown or Egyptian? Uh, prob- I would imagine this one's more an Egyptian. Yeah, I think yeah. it actually may be the Egyptian but I saw the post on it that actually is going to be screening at, the, at one of the SIF theaters. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, very appropriate for a SIF theater. Yeah. Uh, I don't see this working, say, on a screen in Tacoma. No. Right? Well, it could happen. Just, well, yeah. But not likely. Yeah. Um, I, I think people just, they just won't be getting it. That's a different crowd. It's a different demographic. It just doesn't, yeah. it's not going to understand this. They're going to look at it and go, way too weird. It's like watching Dead Man from Jim Jaramouche. Oh, in, yeah. Great. You know, okay. great film, but hard to find that audience. Yeah. So I think, I mean, to your point of, you know, the the movie that gets under your skin that you cannot really shake off. Mm -hmm. I shook this off five minutes after watching it. Really? Um, The imagery that 
is in it that kind of gives mm-hmm. you that feeling did not really do anything hmm. for me. I think this movie is so grotesque in other ways and unnecessarily grotesque in other ways that it was easy for me to shake off. Hmm. Like it was, this is what I was talking to another uh, fellow critic in Chicago about this. Just because the movie is beautiful and which this movie is gorgeously filmed. The score is incredible. Mm -hmm. Just because something is beautiful does not mean it is good. Just Mm -hmm. because it is beautiful does not mean it is art. To, to me, an art is completely subjective. We are a bunch of critics. Totally. Everything is subjective. But to me, this just, the first two acts mm-hmm. were strong. Yeah. And, and again, like we were talking about with Annabelle, you could feel the room waiting for that next shoe to drop. When it starts getting into the third act, when that shoe starts dropping, I stopped caring. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it was a weird disconnect where by the third act, first of all, I never liked any of these people except for Florence Pugh. Yeah. Like she was great. Everyone else are just bad people for the most part so it's hard for me to get well we don't get a chance to really know the brits too much and in a way that they're like the two smartest people in the room pretty much because again i have talked about this many times and most critics of color have talked about this many times if something like this actually happened in the real life there's a certain group of people who are like okay bye yeah Yeah. like no (laughs) see ya and the fact that this movie goes on and on and late into the second act you finally get people looking around being like, hey, has anybody seen so and so? And they're like, oh yeah, they left. Yeah. Has anybody? And it keeps happening, and people are rolling with it. Yeah, that I, I just could not get past it. It just to me, dumb people doing dumb things. Yeah, but it yeah. just felt lazy in a way. But man, this film was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> Robin Hardy's 1973 classic, uh, The Wicker Man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is 88 minutes long. How long is this movie? Two hours and 20 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> um, and anybody that has actually watched newbies go to the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. for a pagan ritual movie, yeah, you are going to know exactly what's going to happen. In, uh, the only question is really what's going to happen to Florence Pugh. And that's a legitimate question. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> This movie, for all of its shocking imagery and its Mm -hmm. great performances and exquisite cinematography and great score and a few really visually creepy um, Kubrickian moments, Mm -hmm. bored the ever-living shit out of me, and I'm sorry to go past my (laughs) PG-13. I love movies like this. I really loved Hereditary. Mm -hmm. I think there are a ton of awesome things in this film. And the movie does not work for me because I simply did not care because I knew for the entire running time what was going to happen, and I could almost tell you when it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, And there is truth in that because they do telegraph the punches in all of these sort of uh, medieval pagan paintings that are right out from the get-go. So we do know that. In a way, is great because, I mean, it it does show how, you know, um, how intricate... Ari Aster is as a filmmaker that but there is no reason for this movie to take so long to get to its point other than he can and he just wants to there are I mean and maybe this will age like Kubrick's films do but I don't see it happening for me yeah Yeah. again so art house film perhaps uh, like I say gonna be hard to find its audience is where I'm coming on it but I still enjoyed it okay so what I'm, are you I'm, a, I'm a theater on wow, this one. Okay, where do you come in on this? I think Florence Pugh is probably going to be on my list of best actresses for this year. On my short list of people that I'm going to be talking about, I think this movie is a rental at best. Okay, John. Again, gorgeous movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Florence Pugh is amazing, but this is a skip. Like it just it. I think for the demographic who wants to see it, and we know fellow mm-hmm. critics in town mm-hmm. who this is their one of their highly anticipated movies, absolutely loved it. So I get that. But to me, it is a skip. It was also weird watching this because it kind of tied in at two places where I have spent a lot of my life. Mm-hmm. Saturday Market in Eugene, Oregon and Ballard <laughs> in Seattle, Washington. <laughs> it was like those two things got smashed together yeah. and we got this. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a skip. Okay. Beautiful movie, though. Okay. Hey, but John, what else opens yeah, tell um, us a little over bit the about... 4th of July holiday? Uh, Independence Day 3. No. Uh, let me see. Yes, yes. This time without the oops. Uh, made in the USA. No. Mm. Uh, American Ninja Six. No. Oh. What about a reboot on a Spider-Man franchise? Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is on Netflix. Okay. No. 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 Spider-Man mm. Into the Spider-Verse on Netflix. But How about yes. a prequel? 
Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home uh, opens next week in just a few days. This is the second of, of the standalone new Spider-Man movies, not counting Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is arguably the best Spider-Man movie we have ever had. Uh, but yeah, this is the second one. This is our third trip around the movie go going with Tom Holland uh-huh. as as our beloved Peter Parker. Well, technically fourth. Fourth? Uh, sort of. He kind of shows up. Yeah. I mean, the movie does pick up where the last one ended. True. I guess I, I still kind of count those as one movie, but yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> so with this, it picks up relatively soon after what we know as the snap. Mm-hmm. You know, in Avengers... Infinity War, and then again in Endgame. Yeah. In the movie, they call it the, the blip. blip. Well, that's the return, yeah. Um, the right. blip is the return. So, well, yeah, because nobody other than the heroes knows that there was a, a snap, even though they kind of mentioned it at weird places. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we this is the we finally got the answer to what is going to happen when people start popping back up five mm-hmm. years later. <laughs> the way that this movie starts is a genius way of doing that. I know that I think Adam and I had the experience of doing middle school or high school news programs. Oh, yeah. Um, I was the first person to actually like start one in my middle school, uh, Wake Up East Valley, uh, <laughs> way back in the day in Spokane. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was it starts off with this high school, you know. It's the news, reading of the minutes, basically. The, yeah, the yeah. news program. One of the guys, one of the boys in it is just like, this is ridiculous. Like, our kids, our students... Our fellow peers came back five years older. They made us start the year over again. We had to take midterms again. <laughs> yeah. Like he is just over it. And then Betty Brandt, who all of my comic loving friends will definitely get the references to Betty Brandt. They introduce her character and she is the much more optimistic. <laughs> She's like, hey, this is what happened. But, you know, she wants yeah. to keep things positive. So it takes that. And then they go on this school trip mm-hmm. that we start seeing in the trailers and we get introduced to a new hero. Who gets a science trip to Venice? Right, in a high school in Queens. Right? Yeah. Okay, sorry, off topic. Go ahead, yeah. keep going. So we get introduced to this new hero, Mysterio, as he is battling these elemental creatures, and what does that mean, and where are the Avengers now, and who is going to be the next Tony Stark? And you, we deal with Peter Parker still struggling with the loss of not only uh, a friend, but mm-hmm. a mentor, a mm-hmm. borderline father figure yeah. in Tony Stark, and he is constantly reminded of him yep. because the world knows they don't know exactly what happened, but they know that he died. He yep. sacrificed himself for something. So there are murals of Tony. Murals and vigils and all everywhere. sorts of stuff. And yeah. he's dealing with all of his teenage hormonal yeah. Yeah. normalness. Angst. And that is one of the things that so. I absolutely loved about this film is we get the development of the relationship between MJ and Peter, and it still feels like high school. Yeah. They are awkward. They do not know what to say to each other. You know, it is not these moments that we get a lot of movies that deal with high school romance where they finally have this big grand kiss at the, you know, <laughs> Eiffel Tower. <laughs> this, when we finally get certain moments, it is just as awkward as you want it mm-hmm. to be. So John Watts directed this one again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Homecoming. And he really has this dialed in of how to tell a story of high school age characters where they feel real. Mm-hmm. Like where it feels like this is what would actually be happening on this school trip where you want to talk to your best friend about like, I have this grand plan to talk to the girl I like. And then when things start happening, he just falls apart. Yeah. So that was just great. The actual Spider-Manning in mm-hmm. this movie is done incredibly well, but there are some moments where it is so mm-hmm. frenetic, it gets a little bit jumbled. Mm-hmm. There is a lot going on in this movie when there it is. actually, you know, hits the ground running. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to track. Some of that. So that is a, maybe a, a slight ding mm. on it. But the way they built mm-hmm. those action set pieces. They took Mysterio, which is like a C-grade Spider-Man villain, who is all smoke and mirrors, yeah. and turned him into a credible, legitimate you know, type of character. And that was just impressive. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, I like that they do make him a hero, essentially. Which, yeah. so. And what uh, Steve Reeder was pointing out to me after the film, too, and, and I'd kind of forgotten of this, but I, I noticed a lot of it as well. In some of these sequences that Mysterio has created and that we are witnessing, the cinematographers... Be careful. And, um, and the uh, CG artists and all that, and the art directors on this, they have pulled from 
cinema history to yeah. create a lot of these sequences. So you're getting things from Metropolis and you're getting all yeah, yeah. like cinema greats yeah. that are like elements of all these things that are just getting thrown in there. So it's a whirlwind sort of tour de force of cinema being yeah. put right before your very eyes. Um, just be careful and, of how much you're going to say here. No, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not going to say much all more right. than this, but it is downright stunning when you actually kind of think back yeah. and you go, yeah. holy smokes, they really, they, they did their homework and they shoehorned a lot into this to make it work. Well, it's good that they um, shoehorned a lot because the plot is a ripoff of a Pixar movie. Sure. I mean, again, the plot, it is still at its core a Spider-Man movie while he is in high school. So yes. you're going to have his internal conflicts. Love that. You're going to have his relationship conflict. Love that. You're going to have his hero conflict. Love that. And so, yes, the storyline itself, very, very just vanilla. Yeah. It's not. Again. Can we just go with that? It's not actually very good. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal is great. He is. He's yeah. really good in this movie, and I'm not going to talk about him too much because it, mm -hmm. there are legitimate spoilers that we could get into. But I do love how he does make Mysterio both a hero and a father figure, and he does it so believably, but he also does it in a very um, almost, you know, um, joyful way, even though he's dealing with a lot of, I mean, he, it's a very almost flippant performance at times. Yep. I mean, he seems to be having a lot of fun here, and yet he's actually giving an actual three-dimensional performance. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. But the actual plot of this movie is a horse poo. I mean, nothing really happens. I mean, I love the interaction with, with Peter and all of his fellow students. Mm -hmm. I love the John Hughes aspects. Oh, yeah. But, I mean... <laughs> A lot of the action scenes are are up there with some of the most problematic that Marvel delivers in that they just become a lot of noise and visual razzle-dazzle for the sake of nothing because nobody it's just it's like watching somebody play a really cool video game at times mm -hmm. and yep. that annoys the crap out of me. I mean one of the reasons I liked Homecoming so much is because the dynamic between Holland and Michael Keaton worked it was yeah. strong you could feel it um you never get that feeling here and for me in some ways the coolest aspects of this film are the post-credit scenes which i don't even i can't believe i'm actually saying yeah. um yeah. of but, which there are two the, so stick yes. around for both and of them both of them are important and i think both of them are interesting and the first one in particular puts a whole different spin on the movie that we just watched plus pays homage to the Sam Raimi movies, which I actually appreciated. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But I'm curious to see where they go next, specifically because of the post credit scene. But the movie itself, other than I really liked watching Tom Holland and Zendaya together, mm -hmm. and I really liked the just the the one-on-one -on -one scenes mm -hmm. between Tom Holland and Jake Gyllenhaal, I just... This movie really didn't do a lot for me. Yeah, the one, and I wish they gave Zendaya just a little yes. more to do because yep. otherwise she's, she's just she's good. Yeah. But and, and it, there's nothing that's her fault in this. It's just they didn't give her much to do. But and I do so, like in the moments with her, mm -hmm. she is still strong. Yes, independent has agency, and she, there were never those moments. You know, like it sounds like there were in Yesterday, mm -hmm. where friendly like I love you. No, I've always loved you. Like this. It, you know, when things start evolving or changing, she is still an awkward teenager. Yes. Mm -hmm. Who and likes the things that she likes, doesn't feel the need to actually like what anybody else likes. She never apologizes never, for them. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, those are definitely, you know, really, really strong points. This, I mean, speaking very briefly on the mid credit scene, because there's mid credits and then a post credit scene. Sure. Mm -hmm. This mid credit scene had people in the theater more excited yeah. mm -hmm. than I have heard in a very, very long time for a Marvel movie. Right? Because a lot of the recent Marvel movies, they're setting up the very next thing. Mm -hmm. And people after the movie come to me. Yeah. And they're like, who okay, was that? What right, was that? What does who this was mean? this? What is that pager? What is that symbol? And that's yeah. kind of what the actual post credit scene yeah. does. But this mid credit scene punches <laughs> you in the heart in yep. a way that, like, I mean, I it's brilliant. was never expecting that. Yeah. It, it did elicit quite the. Uh, Quite the roar. And it yeah. leads so. me to believe that our next Spider-Man movie is going to happen a lot quicker in the next yeah. phase than I thought it was going to happen. It very well could, because I kind of personally wanted them to kind of fast forward a little bit into college, mm -hmm. because Not now. the characters are starting to show their age a little bit, yeah. being 16, 17-year-old characters, but this mid credit scene blew yeah. me away. Yeah. 
Where are you coming in on this? Theater? Right? 100% Skip? theater okay. uh, for me. I think, again, speaking of demographics and the, the audience that you want, mm-hmm. the people who are going to see these movies are going to like this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it is, it is going to make sense. It is going, they're going to have fun with it. So, yeah, so it is absolutely a theater. Yeah. Sarah? It's fine. It's a rental for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, John, I'm with you on this. I'm going in the theater camp on this, too. It's awesome. fun. It's big. It's loud. Uh, is it Michael G? Uh, uh, who wrote Giacchino. this? Giacchino. Giacchino. I've heard yeah. mm-hmm. Giacchino does a score on this. Um, oh. Again, well, well cued throughout. I love Led Zeppelin. You know, <laughs> and, and, <yeah. laughs> oh, great, no. great reference, especially mm-hmm. for, you know, young Gen Zer. Yeah. Or, you know, I was just like, oh, it's very true. I, I know too many kids like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, well played and uh, enjoyed enjoyed in that regard. So, all right. That's the, the wrap on the films. There is an awesome theater that is coming soon to near us. Talking with Tommy Swenson. Tommy, you are the Hello. director of programming for The Beacon, which is a brand new theater in Columbia City. Tell us a little bit about The Beacon because this is, this is fresh new stuff. Yeah, we uh, just put out our first article today, and it's sort of our first real day of existing publicly. It's really exciting. <laughs> uh, it's it, we can no longer back out. Okay, so <laughs> what exactly what what exactly are you guys? You're a single screen theater. The Beacon is a single screen theater, a scant fifty seats. Okay, it's uh, it feels a bit like a a private clubhouse, but I think it's. Uh, a really special place that we've designed to just be a, a movie paradise. Right. And this is going to be over um, in Columbia City, just off That's of That's right. Ra- Columbia City uh, on Rainier, right where Genesee runs into Rainier there. Now, there used to be a Columbia City theater. There is a Columbia there, okay. City yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I haven't been there in, in a number of years. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful place, the Arc Lodge Cinema there. It's run by a great guy, David McRae. Okay. And uh, it's... It's a really extraordinary place. Okay. So are you guys doing counter-programming to whatever they're doing, or what's, what's I, the scoop? We think of ourselves as complementary programming, because they do first-run screenings. Yep. You know, they they have Hollywood movies. Sure. They do a great job of, you know, bringing black cinema and lots of other stuff to that neighborhood. And we're, we're really super repertory-focused. So we're going to be bringing back a lot of old movies, doing a lot of deep programs, sort of uh, looking at new restorations that are coming out, small independent new release films, and just really spanning the scope of, of film history from silent cinema to TikTok. Yeah, wow. I mean, so you and your partner, Casey Moore, I mean, where, where did this idea come from? How was this born between the two of you? In a sense, it's like a, a lifetime's dream finally reaching its culmination. <laughs> but in another sense, it just really came together in the last few months. <laughs> we, uh, we we didn't know each other until pretty recently, although we grew up really in a similar circumstance, doing a lot of the same stuff, going to the same shows, going to the same screenings. You probably but, uh, rented movies to him from Scarecrow. Must have, must have. <laughs> the, we we realized we're at the same basement show where he met his wife in, in the basement of the, the university library over there in the U District. Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We met finally through uh, a mutual friend, Zach Carlson, who is true a true legend of of the film and music world. Um, yeah, at South by Southwest at a crawfish boil at Tim League's house, and we hit it off. You know, two Seattle guys. You had to go all the way to South by Southwest to to actually meet the guy from Seattle, like the guy who came up from practically your own neighborhood. Yeah, the, we were in small rooms of ten people, and we never talked to each other until we were in Texas. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so flash forward, uh, I'm, he's running his own uh, marketing company, High Council. I'm working as a labor organizer, having stepped away from sort of a, a career of film programming and trying to branch out. He pulls me back in. He's uh, looking for, <laughs> really just looking for an office space for his, his company and rented what he thought was just the uh, lobby of this space only to discover that, no, it actually has the, the whole studio attached to it. So uh, he he seizes the opportunity to to make a lifelong dream happen and uh, for the past six months has been converting this space into a studio or into a, a movie theater. Into, into actual theater. Yeah. That is fantastic. So when this, is an, when this turns out to be a success and everybody Inevitably. loves it and it's going to be like a Seattle institution, which one of you is writing the screenplay? <laughs> I think that's your job. Oh, okay. <laughs> So you're talking about a, a wide berth of actual films that you're choosing from. Are you getting input from the public as to what you want to be putting on this, or is this purely coming from what the two of you are running with? Well, up to this point, it's been pretty insular, just sort of the two of us uh, working out ideas. 
when he approached me about this at first, it was just sort of in an advisory capacity, and I had a, a, a number of months to just sort of idly brainstorm about it, and I worked out about an 80-page document of ideas of things I wanted to pursue, given, given free reign. And uh, this is the idealistic world contained on the page. So as we now move it into the real world space and we start seeing how people respond, what they, what they actually show up for, what they really appreciate and what rubs them wrong, we'll be reactive. Nice. And my biggest question is all of us, or at least most of us, remember our first movie theater experience. And so I want to know when people first go to the Beacon, what type of experience are you wanting them to have? We want it to be really personal. It's such a small space that, you know, we can't put it across fool people into thinking we're more than two guys sort of doing a pop-up thing here. Right. But, uh, you know, it's going to be one of us there probably greeting you. But we've we've really put in sort of a, a careful, thoughtful uh, polish on everything we're doing. And what we really want to do is just sort of invite people into the world of cinema bit by bit. Uh, at the Alamo Draft House, where I worked for a long time, we would do pre-shows before the film starts. And for many years, it was my job to edit those together. And so that really gets you thinking about, you know, sort of where is your brain at when the movie starts? How can you prime someone to, to sort of move into that space, that liminal sort of dream space where you start experiencing something on a, on a different level that movies offer? And uh, there's no trick to it, but it's, it's little details, you know, um, getting people, it's little details, getting people starting thinking about sort of the themes of the movies or, you know, giving great introductions that really contextualize and give history, sort of give people things to think about and look for while they're watching it. And uh, ultimately just sort of really facilitate this process of discovery that we hope can sort of like build a trust with the audience. It's some, something that we want to sort of negotiate is the, the push and pull between giving people movies that they love and they want to come out because they know they love these movies and they want to see them again and that sense of discovery. And so it's it's really a sort of negotiation of building the trust to where people know that they like sort of our taste and how we can present things to where they'll follow along with us down avenues that they never knew existed. Well, and that was going to be my question in that, you know, with Casey coming from the Criterion Collection and with you and your experience at the Alamo Draft House and everything, um, are you thinking of having like some sort of some curated series like maybe like in October you have Haunted House Thursdays and it's a double feature and and somebody introduces each of those films every Thursday night um, and it's something familiar but it's also something strange and esoteric yeah absolutely it's I think it's really going to be sort of our stock and trade and that's exactly how it works is uh, you know putting the things people know putting the things people love next to stuff that they want to find out so our nomenclature that we're using is serieses, which are going to be sort of weekly things. And we're starting out with two of them. We've got one called Haunted Light, which is going to be Monday night horror series, and a series called Anime is Good, which is our Saturday morning anime show. Wow. Uh, is, then, that gonna, is that going to include Star Blazers but by any chance at all? Does that ring a bell to you? I mean, oh, yeah. Star okay. Blazers, the whole yeah. the A.G. Matsumoto universe, Captain Harlock, all, <laughs> okay. all of them are in there. We're off to outer space. See, that was one of the things I grew up with. And it's one of those rare things. Like some people don't really, you know, reference back to this at all. But OK, good. Very good. All right. So then the other half of that is our <laughs> what we're calling the programs, which are the more, uh, you know, self-contained sure. groupings of movies. Sure. And I think that's where we can get really interesting because you can do it, you know, based on a person or a historical movement, but also thematically. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives the opportunity to make a really sort of... Uh, wide-ranging and deep series. The first one that we're doing out of the gate is uh, 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 exploration of suburban dystopia. We're calling it, <laughs> you only move the headstones, the unburied violence of suburbia. <laughs> so it's sort of a way of looking at, uh, you know, for, for the institution of suburbia, this sort of inherently violent settlement of the wilderness built on exclusion and, you know, economic isolation. Uh, what psychological effects does that produce? How is that echoed into cinema when you try to forget the past, bury it over, when mm -hmm. you try to keep things out? What seeps back in? What comes back? What, what are the repercussions of doing that? So like, it's a way to, to take a group of movies and sort of build a story out of them, putting them together, thinking through what do they mean? How can we experience them today? How can we relate them to what's going on in our lives? I love this because it sort of reminds me of what got me so passionate about cinema and film to begin with. Like growing up in Spokane, we had the Magic Lantern Theater. Oh, and, yeah. you know, during the summer, they would have a summer kids film series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they would screen stuff like 
the creature from the Black Lagoon in black and white and in 3D, and then Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then the Umbrellas of Sherberg for some, oh, for some silly, strange reason. <laughs> kids um, love it. Yeah, I mean, but this was the summer kids series. And, and I mean, so is that how you're sort of looking at this? It's like, in some ways, does it feel kind of like a throwback to how people used to go to the movies? I think so. There, there was the phenomenon of the, the film calendar that you would wait for it to come out and it would have the whole schedule for the next couple months on there and you'd await it with bated breath and it would be so exciting when you see it. And uh, we're not going exactly that model because we want to be sort of more responsive than getting our whole calendar locked mm-hmm. so we can't be flexible. We want to, you know, on a week-to-week basis be able to add more shows, what's doing well. But it is that that spirit of like putting a whole package together and sort of offering that up as something that you can just dive into and get lost in and go as deep as you want or just sort of skirt along the surface and get just as much out of it. A lot of the multiplexes we've been watching kind of have been having a harder time putting butts in seats. But I see how a, a sort of a, a picture house or, a, you know, a, an art house can survive because you do have that the strength in sort of the unique or the curated. Is that the hope here that that you're able to or will be able to pull enough in coming in that way? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seems you know one of the big trends is bringing food and that kind of thing into mm-hmm. the theater, and uh, I think inevitably that tends to distract from the experience of the movie. And what we're really focused on is that viewing experience, the way that sitting there as the lights go down and the curtains open up, it really takes you into a whole nother world and you can get lost in there and it changes your experience of time. It sort of rips you out of the, the regimented, stifling world of capitalistic, yeah. neoliberal just time that's taken away from us and really just opens up this like whole space to dream and imagine and bring sort of different futures into being. So one of the quick questions that also comes to mind on me is, when we were kids, because I'm going to look, I'm looking across the room here. We're all roughly the same age. We grew up in theaters where there was the like the. the I no- just I just turned eighteen. Right, I, I know. So John, uh, we're all could, eighteen. Yeah, but there was the time when there was like the no talking in the theaters, like the shh, and it was mm-hmm. the cowboy who shot the guy's drink out of his hand. Is that the sort of thing that you guys are going to roll before the screenings? I mean, this is it's kind of this harkens back. I mean, I don't know, maybe you don't, you are, maybe you aren't, but yeah, yeah well, it's, you know, again, I think there's there's a danger of. Going too far in that no talking sure. world where it becomes a sort of strict scold. Yeah. So it's like for us, it really is about the communal experience of okay. bringing people together. Because when you watch stuff in your home, it's just it's good. At, no matter how you know polished and high end your your system is, you're missing that experience of being around other people. And maybe you hate them and are mad at them the whole time. But that's part of it. You're existing in the world with other people, and their reactions are influencing your reactions, and it's becoming a you know, a participatory, collective, subjective experience. I think that's absolutely accurate, especially uh, going to uh, films with different demographics as mm-hmm. well. The experience you get at a horror with one crowd, uh, going to see a horror film with a different crowd can elicit completely different responses and people laughing at scenes where other crowds don't necessarily, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think this is uh, tantamount to what you're actually gripping onto. This is fantastic. I really love hearing this. So, you know, no cell phones, but shrieks, guffaws, giggles, chortles, that's all allowed. Indeed. <laughs> so if we're looking to get more information on The Beacon, where are we looking for this? Uh, so our website is thebeacon.film, and you can find us on all social medias pretty much at The Beacon, S-E-A. Okay. Thebeacon.film. That's right. And The Beacon, S-E-A, uh, on social medias. All right. We will be digging into this. Uh, Tommy Swenson, Director of Programming, thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Tommy Swenson of The Beacon, and we can find the website again at thebeacon.film. Can't wait. Yeah. July 19th, July 19th right? is their first night or first day, maybe day and night. Still yeah. not entirely clear. No. We'll get the schedule, though, and we'll be able to review further. But uh, sounds like a lot of fun happening. I can't wait. I'm going to go. Columbia mm-hmm. City, man. I, uh, I drive through there once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. Now I have more reason to go. There Very we go. cool. You guys work on any projects, Sarah? I've got a bunch of interviews now that some of the Seattle International Film Festival films are now starting to open. Mm-hmm. So I've got interviews for The Farewell and a bunch of other movies that are going to be popping up on Movie Freak over the next few weeks. Very cool. John? Uh, I have had an unintentional few weeks off uh, <laughs> recently due to some health stuff. Uh, but yeah, if you go to aboutreview.com, there should be some new reviews and new episodes uh, coming out, kind of catching up on on some episodes that I missed. I only did one SIF interview this year due to some issues, but yeah, that will be coming out 
pretty soon. But yeah, AboutReview.com has everything, and then at AboutReview on all forms of social media. Very good. So in quick review of what we've talked about this uh, this session, Spider-Man Far From Home getting three theater recommendations. No, it didn't. Nope. Oh, you're right. I gave Sorry. it a skip. You, no, you gave it a rental. I gave it a rental. You gave it a rental. We got two theaters, one rental. They were just all so closely. My little chicken scratches here were all so close to each other. Okay. You don't so know me. Two theaters, one rental for Spider-Man. Uh, Midsummer getting a theater, a rent, and a skip. <laughs> yeah. Right? We got the gamut there. there we so go. roll the dice. Uh, Annabelle comes home getting two theater recommendations yesterday. Uh, actually, Annabelle got three theater three. recommendations. How did I miss? Oh, I didn't mark mine on here. <laughs> there we go. Wow. How ding, is ding, Annabelle ding. like the best review? movie of the day yeah well you know it uh well you didn't see toy story 4 true so and there you have it yesterday getting a theater and a skip so we've got a complete split it's like a bowling game that just got terrible um (laughs) how are you gonna figure that one out that pin and that pin oh man you gotta be 710 right at least we at least we didn't all agree for once right and uh toy story 4 getting two theater recommendations from the squabblers this has been episode (laughs) 90 of cinema squabble sarah michelle fetters that guy john i'm adam gerke our producer is sprints arbogast thanks much for joining us (laughs) 